Bible, let's open it to Psalm 108. Uh, we're going to see uh, the Lord answering prayer uh, uh, that has been prayed in faith. And so I don't know how your prayer life is. Uh, tonight, there's definitely going to be an encouragement to, to make sure that you kind of, you know, ask God to help you in your prayer life. One of the things I learned about prayer, because remember Jesus said, when you pray, you go into your closet. So we don't advertise it. You know, usually when we pray in public, we pray short. We don't pray these long prayers. We're not trying to, you know, get on the corner like the Pharisees were and impress people and tell you how many hours I pray, you know, or whatever in, in public. We pray briefly, usually, when we pray publicly. But when we pray privately, when we pray in our closet, there should be like quantity, quality time. You know, a lot of people, they'll spend a lot of time watching television. They'll spend a lot of time with their hobbies and they're doing these good things. But the question is, are you doing the best things? Are you on your knees? Are you obedient in your prayer life? And not only when you pray, you know, a lot of times, sometimes, you know, you got these religious guys they don't even know the Lord or they don't really have a right-on relationship or powerful relationship with God and they don't really believe. They don't really have faith. You know, they're praying for someone to get saved, whatever it is, their prodigal son, and then at, the, at the end of the day, they're like, they really don't even believe. But it's so cool when you read the Proverbs and you read the Psalms and you read the Scriptures how when you have faith, what a difference it makes. And that's what... These guys were, they were, like we were singing in the song today, they were singing in the difficult times. They were praising God. They were thanking God in advance. In Acts chapter 16, when Paul and Silas were there and they were bottom of the dungeon, their feet were in chains. It was midnight. They had been lashed with all the, the lashings. Imagine the pain they were experiencing. But what were they doing? They were singing. They were praising God. And that I think we need to come to that place of praising Him in advance. Because I tell you what, I think that that blesses Him. Because a lot of times when we go through the struggles, we're, we're just, we're defeated, we're on the floor, we're discouraged, we're depressed. And God does not want us as His children to live that way. We need to be valiant. We need to be confident. And we're going to see that even tonight in, in David. And, and so some, this is interesting. Now, I need to apologize to you guys because did anyone here read in advance from last time we, we did the Psalms? None of you did. Okay, so I don't feel so bad. <laughs> the last time we were here, we did Psalm 106. We were supposed to do Psalm 107, but I've, I don't know what happened to me. I went over and I started so, studying Psalm 108 and 109. So next week, Lord willing, we'll go back to Psalm 107. And then we'll go to Psalm 110. So tonight we're in Psalm 108, and it's a song, a psalm of David. Now, we're not certain on the background to the psalm, but we know it was a time when David needed deliverance. We see it in verse 6, and it was a time of trouble. We see that in verse 12. He needed the help that only God could give. And so he prays, and he praises he sings about this in this psalm, and really he brings it all to the Lord with a ton of faith. You know, because it doesn't matter what you're going through, you guys. What are you going through? Who's coming against you? How many demons are assaulting you? It doesn't matter. 
Psalm 46 in verse 1, it says that God is our refuge, a strength. He's a very present help in times of trouble. You know, my, my prayer is that whatever it is that you're not afraid, you're not freaking out. I, I pray that you're not discouraged. You're not depressed. You're not defeated. You're not fatigued. My prayer is that you're confident, you know, because God's going to give us the victory. But we have to make sure, like First Peter 5, 7 says, that we cast all our cares upon him, knowing that he cares for us. And so you give it to God. How do you give it to God? I believe through prayer. You just say, Lord, here, I'm giving this situation to you. I'm, I'm giving this dream to you. I'm giving this person uh, that I struggle with. I'm just giving them to you. And when we cast our cares upon the Lord, it's so cool because then we know it's in good hands, right? And so we're going to see that in this psalm. Uh, something interesting about this psalm is verses 1 through 5 are almost identical to Psalm 57, 7 through 11. And then verses 6 through 13 are almost identical to Psalm 60, verses 5 through 12. And so I'm sure you've heard and you've gone uh, through the contemporary Christian music and worship, similar lyrics, but different music. Why? Because there are common themes, right, in the Christian life, right? And we experience them uh, repeatedly in our walks, right? You know, we go through a, a battle and God gives you a victory. And then, you know, you're thinking, well, I can never go through that again. And the next thing you know, boom, there we are again. And God gives you uh, another song and so uh, just repeating those truths over and over again all our life until the day that we see him face to face right and so psalm 108 notice what we read in verse 1 it says oh god my heart is steadfast now that that's a cool place to be wouldn't it be if our heart was was steadfast how many of us here, if you were honest, you would say that your heart is like this? If you have an old King James, it says, my heart is fixed. That's cool, huh? You're, my heart is fixed. I, I think as Christians, it'd be neat to have a heart that, that is fixed, that is steadfast, right? And so what does he say? I will sing and give praise even with my glory. And that means with all my soul, with all my heart. Now, I don't want to say too much about this because I know that sometimes when people are praising, we all have our different uh, styles of doing it. I've gone to, to churches uh, by the grace of God all around the world. Uh, some of you guys have gone with us to Cambodia. You see the way they praise, they dance. I just got back from Colombia, and uh, they had everybody was jumping when they were praising, and they were just like worshiping the Lord like that. Would you guys like to do that? We could probably um, organize something like that, right? I'm just joking. You guys wouldn't do that, right? You're more reserved. Um, but, but, but I will say this, man, praise the Lord with all your heart. You know, some of you here, you're, you're distracted. So focus, lift up your hands, don't be ashamed. Uh, and hopefully the Spirit of God really uh, does a work so that, like, like it says right here, I will praise Him even with my glory. Uh, that means with all my soul. That means with all my heart. Right? And so in verse 2, he says, Awake, lute, and harp. I will awaken the dawn. And so now he's breaking out the musical instruments, right? The, the stringed instruments. He's going to, 
kind of make some noise, right? He's going to wake up the morning. Or it might be in reference to the fact that he does this early in the morning, right? But, he, but he's going to sing, he's going to use these instruments, and he's directing his praise. Notice in verse 3, I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. And so we're going to see as we go through the psalm here that David is um, he's uh, having some struggles with uh, uh, the, the military victory and maybe having been defeated by his enemies. And so what is he saying right here? He says, I am saying this, I am declaring this victory in advance. God is going to give us the victory. God is going to give us this, you know, and it's just so cool when you have that. Do you have that? What, what are you facing? What's your struggle? What's your worry? What's your fear? Whatever it is, my prayer is that God would use this psalm to say, absolutely not. I will not walk by fear. I will walk by faith. And no matter what it is, I'm not saying that I'm going to get my way, but I know God's going to give us the victory. I know this. I know this for me and my family and my church and the ministry. You know, so that's what he's saying. I'm going to praise you, O Lord, among the peoples and before the foreigners. And so, you know, three times he mentions uh, praising there in verse 1. I will sing and give praise. Verse 3, I will praise you. Uh, again, I will sing praises to you. Uh, and, and then he mentions why in verse 4. He says, for your mercy is great above the heavens. And your truth reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens, and your glory above all the earth. You know, and as you read the scriptures, you'll find uh, it's kind of cool. The words mercy and truth, they're just everywhere. They're everywhere. Mercy is everywhere. Truth is everywhere. But 11 times in the Bible, you'll find them knit together in uh, the same passage. You know, I like, I like Psalm 57 and verse 10. It says, For your mercy reaches unto the heavens and your truth uh, unto the clouds. I mean, how, how high is that? How awesome is that? And then over in Psalm 85 and verse 10, I, I like that one. It says, Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. Isn't that cool? Isn't that beautiful? You know, um, when I think of uh, mercy and truth and righteousness and peace kissing together, uh, I, I, I see that there at the cross, huh? Where Jesus died for us. And there they meet at that crossroads where you and I were, are redeemed. You know, I've been a Christian for 30 years now. And to be honest with you, I, I struggle sometimes with, with mercy. I, I struggle with grace. You know, because I blow it, and then I go out into the day and thinking, man, I'm in big trouble today, man, because, like, there's this cloud that's going to follow me all, all day long uh, until somehow I undo what I did. And, and you can't undo it. But then when you really begin to read the scriptures, uh, you, you just begin to read that God is this amazing, merciful God. He, he doesn't deal with us according to our sins. He's, he's ready and willing to forgive and, and wash and cleanse and redeem and bless. You know, we just have to know that that's the God that we serve, right? I mean, aren't, aren't, aren't we, are we glad that God is the way, the truth, and the life, that we're blessed, that God is a merciful God? 
You know, when I, when I think of mercy and truth, um, there's a lot of truths that you can talk about. We can talk about doctrine, but just the truth of his mercy, it blows me away. You know, because we have this crazy mentality and we look around at everyone here and we're thinking, well, in this room, whatever, you know, we got a hundred people and I'll bet you almost any, anything that God will look at the congregation and say, well, that one's the best, that one's the second best, that one's the third best, and that one over there sitting in the back row, they're all messed up, right? That's kind of like the mentality that we get. And God is like, absolutely, he doesn't see things like that. He just says, are you a Christian? Have you placed your faith in Christ? Then if you if you have then he deals with us not according to our, our behavior per se, not, not according to what we deserve. And it, it is a, it's a different life when you go out and here we are, we're preaching a message or whatever it is you're doing and it's got nothing to do with my righteousness. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm not going to go out and, and, and you know take it lightly and, and sin and stuff like that, but... Uh, the Lord knows my heart. I'm trying. And as long as he sees that, then I tell you what, what we got we to gotta be strong in these things. We, we should marvel at his mercy. Psalm 103 in verse 10 through 12 says, He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Maybe you're here tonight and you're thinking, I shouldn't even be here. I'm all messed up. I'm a second-class citizen. Absolutely not. The footing is all equal there at the cross, right? Ephesians 2 in verse 4 says that God is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us. And so that's the way we deal with people. You know how we usually deal with people? Hey, how you doing? Nice to meet you. Hey, welcome to Kara Chapel Almani. Now we're friends. We're working together. We're serving together. We're having fun together. But then, boom, you hit me. You messed me up one time. You're done. It's different now. And God is not like that with us. We don't have to undo what we, what we did with him. He's a merciful God, placing our faith in him. And, and once we begin to understand like the love that's just lavished down upon us, the, the mercy, the grace, the forgiveness, once we begin to understand the way that he has dealt with us, then we will begin to be able to deal with others the same way. That's why Jesus said the same judgment you use will be measured back to you. And so it's important for us, David here, as, he, as he's going into this whole thing, he's going to pray, Lord, we need victory. He begins in a good place. He begins by pointing out, not his own righteousness, but he begins by pointing out God's mercy. Reminds me of Luke chapter 18 when the publican, you know, he, he was praying and, and Jesus pointed him out as an example. He said that this guy when the tax collector, when he prayed, he said, God, you know, I'm such a right-on guy. I, I tithe, uh, you know, and I fast twice a week, and I got it all together, 
right? And he thought he was all bad. He was probably this crazy guy in ministry, some great position, whatever it might be. Everybody looked up to him. Everybody called him rabbi, 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 rabbi. He thought he was great. And then next to him was this, this terrible, horrible tax collector. Now, you got to know the culture of the day. The tax collectors, they were the worst sinners of all. They were the traitors. They were the robbers, you know, and, and you know, today, you know, you know, what's the worst? The worst sinner. That's who he was. But, but, but Jesus said, this guy, when he prayed, he just said, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's all he said. And Jesus said, as God, you know, hearing these guys pray, he, watching them live, he said, that guy went home justified. This guy, all he did was pray to himself. And so we approach God, and there, I hope none of you here, none of us here, me especially, man, we don't want God to give us what we deserve. You might think you're all hot, but listen, you're not, man. None of us here are, right? So we don't want God, but we're asking God for mercy, and he's a merciful God, and he gives us that. Now we enter into this prayer, and then we can have confidence, Notice what he says right here in verse 6. That your beloved may be delivered, save with your right hand, and hear me. How many of you here are right-handed, just out of curiosity? Any left-handers here? Cool. The left-handers, you guys are cool. You're um, creative. But in the Bible, the right hand was symbolic of strength. Okay? And so he says right here, that's your beloved. Isn't that cool? Did you guys know what David's name means? Beloved. That's what his name means. How, do, you, do you know that you're loved? Do you know that? How many of you here think, no, I don't know about me. I think God's still kind of thinking about that. No. You know, this whole thing, our whole life, we, read, we sang the song, I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. What else can we build our, our life upon? My love for God? That's not going to go far. I'm trying, but i got a lot of growing to do. No, my life has this firm foundation as a Christian. It is built upon this amazing love of God, mercy of God, grace of God. And as he goes into it, he knows who he is. He, he says, I'm your, your beloved. And, and Lord, I, I need you to deliver me. And so he, he begins with the prayer, and you got to know that your prayer is then rooted in the promise. And that's where he begins next in, in verse 7. He says, God has spoken in his holiness. I will rejoice. I will divide Shechem and, and measure out the valley of Sukkoth. Gilead is mine. Manasseh is mine. Ephraim also is the helmet of my head. Judah is my lawgiver. Now, now the, the promise of God is Israel's mine, and this land of Canaan, where there is uh, the, the, the valley of Sukkoth and Shechem, that's all going to be given to Israel. That's the promise, right? And, and not only would God give them the land and, and they, they belong to Him, but the promise is also that I am going to defeat all of your enemies, every single one of them, God promised to defeat. That's what we read next in, in verse 9. Moab is my washpot. Over Edom I will cast my shoe. Over Philistia uh, I will triumph. 
And so as we're praying, we're, we're praying in light of God's promises, right? And that's why it's so important to, to read your Bible because the more you read the Bible, in one sense it's more like more promises that you're going to possess. That's why the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. The more the Word of God you know, the more faith you can have. Why? Because the more promises you can claim. And so here he is, he's praying and he's claiming these promises. Shechem and the valley of Sukkoth are within the land of Canaan. God had promised this land to Abraham and his descendants that he would conquer, divide, and distribute the land to all the people. This would be the promised land where there's this land flowing with milk and honey. I like to think of it, everything I need, everything even that I'll want when my desires are lined up with God. The promised land is a land of victorious Christian living. It's a life, not an easy life necessarily, but a blessed life. And that's what he's praying. God, you promised these things, right? The land was promised to them. Back in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 7, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your descendants, I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord. And then in Genesis thirteen fifteen, for all the land which you see, I give to your descendants forever, right? And then in Genesis fifteen eighteen, on the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. Now, when you look at a map, you'll see the land that Israel ended up with, but you're going to see there was a lot of land that they unfortunately did not step in to possess. Why? Because they lacked the faith. They started getting caught up in the world. And one of the things that I think that I, I encourage you in, that, that I want, is that when I die one day or when we get raptured, when life is done, I do not want to have, you know, not, you know, attained the, the promises that God had for me. We want everything that God has for us, Right? But these were the promises, right? When you read Hebrews chapter 11, you'll find that they all possess the promises by faith, the, the power, the purpose in life, and even one day the paradise. You know, and so David is praying. He's standing on the promise. But right now he is a little perplexed. Look what he says in verse 10. He says, who will, who will bring me into this strong city? Who will lead me to Edom? Is it not you, O God, who cast us off? And you, O God, who did not go out with our armies? Give us help from trouble, for the help of man is useless. Through God we will do valiantly, for it is he who shall tread down our enemies. And so it's a situation where he felt defeated, where he was defeated. We don't know the background to it, you know, but he's praying. Uh, he's praying the promise, but then he's perplexed. He says, Lord, but here's the question, like I have for you. You know, aren't you the one that's going to lead us to victory? But we have experienced defeat. You know, sometimes, you know, when we go through life and we're praying for things, it looks like God's not answering our prayer. It looks like, you know, things are actually going backwards. You know, I can just imagine what the apostles felt when Jesus was nailed to a cross. They were thinking, man, all our dreams, all our thoughts, all the, you know, victory and the way that we thought he was the king and the Messiah, it's done. And yet that's all part of God's plan. 
And so, you know, David here, looking at it, 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 he was perplexed. Apparently, there had been some sort of defeat. And, you know, this happened to him as the king. It happened nationally. It happened to the military. But for most of us, right, these things are things that take place personally. Have you ever experienced defeat? Have you ever experienced where you were praying for something and it seems like it didn't work out? What do you do in times like that? Do you give up? Absolutely not. You look up. huh? You look up and, and you give it up, right, to God. You know, I remember reading in the book of Judges, uh, chapter 20, when the children of Benjamin had sinned greatly and so the children of Israel came and they wanted to make things right. And so, you know, you had, I think it was, what, 400,000 uh, in, the, in the army of Israel against 26,700 in the tribe of Benjamin. And so they all come against Israel. And the first time they, they went, 22,000 of their guys died. And so uh, what do you do? Well, then they tried again. The second time they tried, 18,000 died. And so, yeah, there were some on the other side that, that died. But, man, they were getting beat up. They were getting defeated. They probably wanted to go home, give up, pack it up. It's done. We can't make things right. But you know what they did? Uh, the third time, it says that they fasted and they offered sacrifices to God, uh, burnt offerings and peace offerings. Now, prior to that, they, they hadn't done that. You know what they did before? They just cried. They just cried. And that's, I think sometimes, really, if we were to get honest with God, like whatever our situation is, we're not really praying in faith. Maybe you're praying, but in all reality, you're just complaining. You're just like this two-year-old throwing a temper tantrum, right? You're, you're crying and you're complaining, and then God is, you know, you, boom, you, you know, you get defeated, and boom, you, you know, you get defeated again. Maybe... And again, we can't tell God how to run our life and the timing of things to take place. But when you get serious in your prayer life to the point where you're fasting and you're offering burnt offerings, what's a burnt offering? A burnt offering is when you would take the sacrifice to the altar and they would burn everything up so that there's nothing left. And that's an individual who has come to God and no reservations. I'm not going to say, well, this, I'll, I'll do it if we kind of work out a deal here. And then maybe I'll give you my heart or that chamber of my heart if, you know, you know this happens or whatever. And then the Lord is saying, well, that's fine. You, you think you, you can, I, I'm not going to live my life with somebody who's got a divided heart or a two-timer, one foot in the world, one foot in the church. No, there's this, there's this the fasting that sometimes we don't want to fast and then the Lord is telling us to fast and then there's the burnt offering where God wants everything about us and then there's the peace offering and the peace offering was symbolic of, of fellowship. And that was when you could take the, the meat and you would give some to the priests and some of it you could eat. And I kind of like that, you know, where you can eat some of the meat. You guys like meat? That's, you guys like bar the smell of barbecue? Okay, so that's what it was, right? But who are you eating with? And this is why eating is so important. You see it in the Bible. And I think it's an important part. Acts 2.42, prayer, fellowship, um, teaching, and breaking of bread. There's something about breaking bread 
with other Christians, which would then lead to communion that is so cool, that, 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 that was so special. And this is what you're doing now with God. And as they did that the third time, then they got the victory. You know, and so we're praying, we're asking God, but, but, but I think that you're not going to really, like, fast. You're not going to really give God all of your heart, all of your life. You're not going to really have that deep fellowship with God and, until, you know, you believe in Him and until you're really desperate for wanting the things that He wants for you, right? And, and so um, that's what we see here. I think in Judges chapter 20, they finally came to that place where they knew they couldn't do it on their own. Even though they had them outnumbered, uh, we, we needed God, right? And that's what he says here. Who will bring me into the strong city? Verse 10. Who will lead me to Edom? Is it not you, O God, who cast us off? And you, O God, who did not go out with our armies? And give us help from trouble. For the help of man is useless. How many of you here have learned that lesson yet? That man, man is cool. Manny's pretty cool. Today I noticed he's wearing shorts. That's kind of different, right? <laughs> Manny is impotent. Sometimes people think, well, you know, I got to talk to the pastor. I mean, sometimes it gets better, sometimes it gets worse. I'm telling you, that's just the way it works. We're here as a body of believers. We pray for each other. And you know, some guys are really good at counseling. But you know what? He's just a man. I, I tell you what, I prefer the wonderful counselor. Right? And, and what we find in life a lot of times is that, that man, we look to man and we think that they're going to help us. And because of the fact that our trust isn't really in God, God won't allow it to happen. Psalm 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Psalm 146, 3 through 5 says the same thing. Do not put your trust in princes, nor in a son of man in whom there is no help. His spirit departs. He returns to his earth. In that very day his plans perish. Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. You know, and, and my prayer is that we really, really come to that place. And I, and I thank God for, for my pastor. And, you know, when I'm going through things and I have questions and are, that are heavy, I, I call him and I have my friends but I, but I don't lean on them like that. Isaiah chapter 30, it talks about Israel wanting to lean on Egypt. It would be like a spear that would go through their hand. I'm not going to help them. They're going to be they're going to be swept into captivity by Babylon. Egypt can't help you. And so you know you 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 see that th- throughout the scriptures. And and you know I was reminded of that story in Second Chronicles 14, when a million Ethiopian men came against the southern kingdom of Judah. Think about that. A million of them, they had chariots, they had tanks, and you want to know what Asa did? He got on his knees and he prayed and God delivered the million-man army. You know, and I'm not saying we don't need fellowship, and I'm not saying we shouldn't have other people bear our burdens, but whatever you do, don't put your trust in them, because, like I always tell you, the best of men are men at best, right? 
But when you put your trust in God, you're going to have this prayer life that's radically different. And so Asa learned that early on as a king. But later on, the Bible talks about this in Second Chronicles chapter 14. In his 36th year as a king, the northern kingdom of Israel came against him. And so you would figure, man, he has experience. God you know, shows up when he really prays. So he knows how this works. But what does he do after 36 years of experience? He goes and he takes the treasures out of the temple and he hires the Syrians. He hires them with the money. He says, because, you know, here's this nation of Israel coming against him and we can't defeat them. And so what does he do now? He relies on what the kings of the day would do. This is kind of the way you did it. When God had already shown him, no, the way that you will win and prevail is pray in faith. Remember the promises. You see? And so what ends up happening is there's this prophet and he goes and he, he, he confronts King Asa. And this is what he says in the Hebrew language. He says, what's up? No, he didn't say that. He kind of said that like, dude, I can't believe this. He's all, what's up? You remember the, the Bible talks about that in Second Chronicles 16, 7 through 9. At that time, Hananiah the seer, he came to Asa, king of Judah, and he said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. Were the Ethiopians and the Lubim not a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. And this is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on those whose hearts are loyal to him. But, he says, in this you have done foolishly. Therefore, let's check this out. From now on, you will have wars. It, it, it like ruined like the rest of his life that's heavy that's heavy now I'm not saying that you're there uh, God is the one that communicates those types of things but you know sometimes I've seen people manipulate intimidate they get their own way and they ruin their own life why 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 didn't you just trust God and so this it's a warning for us you know um through the Lord, he says, we'll, we'll do valiantly. My prayer is that we would be a, a church that prays the promises, even when it's perplexing, knowing that he's the one that, that we need. He will show up. He will, he will do the work. When you get a chance, maybe a good verse to write down is Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8. I encourage you to read that. And, and then Psalm 109, it's to the chief musician. It's another Psalm of David. And this is what we call an imprecatory psalm. And we're going to see that when we get to verse 6. But, you know, until we get there, it's interesting. It starts off with a, with a common challenge in life as people, you know, they oppose us. They come against us. Uh, it was happening to David where someone was talking smack about him. And uh, more than likely it was King Saul. And so David prays in verse 1, Do not keep silent, O God of my praise. And so, I don't know how you guys are. When you pray, 
Do you expect God to speak to you? I hope so. I hope so. But this is a relationship that we have with God. This is fellowship with God. I have a hundreds, a lot of people, they pray, but they're like, ah, you know, as far as God, the universe speaking to me, I don't know if it's going to happen. No, you expect an answer. And so here's David, he's praying and he's saying, don't be silent. Lord, speak to me, lead me, direct me. I was telling you guys how I was going through this and I didn't know what to do and God spoke to me when I was in in Colombia. But, you know, there was a season, a few weeks there, I'm like, Lord, I don't understand. It seems like you're silent. Not only is he, right here, the prayer is interesting. Not only is it something that when God is silent to speak to me, but also he's saying, God, don't be silent to speak on my behalf. Because when God sits on the throne, all he has to do is say the word and he will deal with my enemies. That's all you got to do, Lord. All you got to do is say it. You know, you just got to think it. Lord, shoot him like, kind of like that or something, you know? Don't be silent. God, speak to me. God, speak on my behalf, right? And so he's praying, verse 2, for the mouth of the wicked and the mouth of the deceitful have opened against me. They have have spoken against me with a lying tongue. They have also surrounded me with words of hatred and, and fought against me without a cause. In return for my love, they are my accusers. Isn't this beautiful? But I give myself to prayer. Thus they have rewarded me evil for good and in hatred for my love. And I think we've all been there at one time or another where someone has spoken against us. I mean, it's, it happened to all of us. And maybe it was you in, in school when you were younger or in the neighborhood or in the family, at work, sometimes even in ministry. And, you know, they're kind of like, you know, telling half-truths, you know, because in all reality, they're not telling the whole story, and then that's a form of lying. And so, you know, they, they make themselves look good, they make you look bad, and it's sad because what he's saying right here is it's a form of hatred. I, I don't know about you, but I look at my life. It doesn't matter what the situation is. And I, I very rarely, almost, I mean, never would say that I'm perfect, that I'm blameless. I, I mean, I always feel like I deserve a little criticism, you know. And so, you know, what we find is that David, however, in the situation with Saul, I mean, I don't see anything in his life that supported Saul ever coming against him. David genuinely loved him, Right. And so all these words, and but then the beautiful word of David in verse 4, and again, I think there's that exhortation to us as a church tonight, I, I give myself to prayer. Isn't that cool? I mean, to me, that's, that's so beautiful. I, I give myself to prayer. That, that's what he does right here. If only we would do this, what a different life it would be. Because what do we usually do? We fight fire with fire. We fight flesh with more flesh. You know, and we think it's right to get even and to put them in their place, to teach them a few things. You know, and, and, and we can even do this um, with our kids, I'll be honest. You know, sometimes it's our kids and they kind of get riled up. And so it's like, who in the world do you think you are? You know, and boom, you know, we just come down hard and God is just saying, wait a minute, time out. You know, be careful with stuff like that. Sometimes I think to myself, Lord, if I don't say anything, then they're going to think that I'm weak. 
And, and so, you know, that's why, you know, we shouldn't think to ourselves, we should pray to God, because if we pray, then maybe the day will come when they realize, no, you, you weren't meek, you, were, you weren't weak, you were meek, and maybe they'll appreciate it, and maybe even emulate it, right? But it, to me, it's a great plan. Ha, ha, let me ask you a question. Have you ever done that? Have you ever come to a place in your life, a juncture, a season, where you actually said and followed through with the plan, I give myself to prayer? You know, David was an amazing man. David, we're going to see, was a sweet psalmist of Israel, the king of Israel, the picture of Jesus. I mean, he was a man after God's own heart. But do you think it happened automatically? Absolutely not, man. He did the things that we're supposed to do. This guy gave himself to prayer. You know, and I think that's a great example for us. We have to pour out our heart to God. Now, we're going to get into this prayer, and it's real interesting. It's an imprecatory prayer, which basically means they're spoken curses upon other people. Now, that's interesting, and I'm not necessarily saying that the content of the prayer is okay to pray, but at the end of the day, David was asking for justice, and that's okay. And at the same time, I think it's okay to be honest with God. You can, you can be honest with God. Lord, I, I, I think this person hates me. I think this person is coming against me. But I could be wrong. But you're just telling God that. Lord, if they are, can you smash them? I mean, that sometimes, you know, we, we have these prayers, right? We can't be honest with everyone. In, in, in one sense, you know, you can't just vent all your feelings. Proverbs 29, 11, it talks about that. But you can be honest with God. You must be honest with God. We actually need to be honest with God because I think in one sense, when we're honest with God, we're honest with ourselves. And once we become honest with really what's going on inside of me, then we can give those foully, foul flesh feelings to Jesus, right? And that's what, what David does. As he's praying, notice in verse 6, set a, a wicked man over him and let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is judged, let him be found guilty and let his prayer become sin. Let his days be few and let another take his office. And so he starts praying some interesting things. Uh, it, it's interesting, you know, Peter here quotes his passage in Acts one twenty. And he tried to use it to replace Judas. Remember when Jesus said, I want you to go and I want you to pray. You know, Peter, impetuous Peter, he goes and he says, well, I'm going to replace, you know, the apostle right now. So I personally don't think he was doing the right thing. Um, and the, the, the psalm, it clearly speaks of an innocent man, opposed, accused, betrayed, and persecuted. So that would kind of fit with what Jesus went through. But as far as whether or not this is in reference to Judas and someone else taking his office, so we don't, that's not clear. There's a debate in Christian circles. Anyways, he's praying this over this individual, more than likely Saul, and, and David then prays for him, uh, notice to die <laughs> in verse 9. Let his children be fatherless, and his wife a widow. Let his children continually be vagabonds and beg. Let them seek their bread also from their desolate places. Let the Creditor sees all that he has 
and let strangers plunder his labor. Let there be none to extend mercy to him, nor let there be any to favor his fatherless children. Let his posterity be cut off, and in the generation following, let their name be blotted out. Let the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord, and let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. Let them continually before, be continually before the Lord, that he may cut off the memory of them from the earth. Do you guys feel stuff like this? I'm, I'm, I mean, I read this. I'm like, man, he's saying, Lord, kill him. Kill him and let, kill his kids and don't let any of his descendants live and, you know, take away all his money and even get his mom and his dad. I mean, I mean, when I read this right here, I'm like, man, this guy is pretty upset, right? And guess who it is? It's the sweet psalmist of Israel, according to Second Samuel 23, verse 1. I don't know. We're all different here. I personally, I don't think I feel those feelings towards anybody. I'm not saying it could never happen. But maybe you're here and you're like, yeah, I feel these feelings towards individuals. And, and yet, sometimes it's because of the crazy things that they've done. And some of you here, you have experienced great, great pain at the hands of people. And so David here, he saw what Saul was doing. I mean, and, and he's praying, God, kill him. Let his children be people who wander in the streets without home or job, may go bankrupt, no money, no mercy. Uh, don't let anyone show his family benevolence whatsoever and, and wipe out his name, his people, posterity from planet Earth. He goes after his people and his parents. And notice what he says in verse 14. Let the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord and let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. So what happens to a person if God remembers their iniquities? If their sins are not blotted out, what happens to that person? They go to hell. They go to hell, the lake of fire. This is what David is praying. You know, I don't know if you feel that way, but I do know this. Just because I know the Bible, we all have it within us. But it's amazing what ends up happening when God begins to work in our hearts and he shows us his love towards us, how God can change our hearts. You know, you might be here and there's someone, and the enemy always has someone. I, I, one thing I learned just living Christian life, if you're a guy, there's probably always a girl that the enemy's going to try to get you with. Or if you're a girl... There's always some guy that enemy is trying to get you with, you know, to fall into sexual sin. Or maybe uh, there's always someone you think is, is your enemy. You know, maybe they are, maybe they're not. It seems like there's always someone, right? You know, and, and so you might have someone today that you're struggling with. And, and wouldn't it be cool if God changed your heart? You know, David, I think, was talking about Saul. He's saying, Getting all his, get all his kids. But then the day came when David became king. And we read in the Bible in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1, that David said, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I might show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? God had changed his heart in verse 3 of the same chapter, 2 Samuel then chapter 9, verse 3. Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God. And that's the key. The way that God has shown you kindness 
Wouldn't it be cool if God changed your heart to such an extent that that person that you're, you know, you got your eye on becomes a person that you show the kindness of God to? I will say this. Maybe you're going to feel it. That's cool. Chances are you won't. You just do it out of raw obedience. Who is it? And, the, and you know what's so crazy is that person that you're struggling with, you're the one that's all messed up. Not them. You. Your relationship with Jesus is suffering because you won't treat that person right. So here's the, the, the flesh. And, and David prays it, but it's so cool to know that it can change. It can change. There's a, there's a lot of bad people out there. Here David gives reasons why he wants God to judge so severely. In verse 16, because he did not remember to show mercy, but persecuted the poor and needy man that he might even slay the broken in heart. You know, when I read this right here, I mean, he persecutes the poor. You know what I think of? You know what I think of? Those guys that uh, get these little girls and, they, and they, they swoop them up into sex trafficking. Now, when, when, you, when you think of that, I was thinking even of this billionaire, right? This guy, what's his name? Jeffrey Epstein. Imagine he's a billionaire. He's recently in prison facing checks, child sex trafficking charges. You know, he's already a, a registered sex offender. Here's a guy that has a mansion, $77 million mansion. I mean, he's got everything. And what does he do? He goes after these little girls. You know, and so someone like that, you know, you're, you're thinking, okay, David, I, I guess I can maybe pray this prayer, you know. But, but do you think God wants that man to be saved? Can God save him? So how do we pray? You know, if he's not going to repent, God get him. Right? But, but Lord, this is where we are. These are our struggles. You know, this man like that with absolutely no scruples, no conviction, no conscience. And David prays in verse 17 as, as he loved cursing, so let it come to him. As he did not delight in blessing, so let it be far from him. As he clothed himself with cursing as with garment, so let it enter his body like water and like oil into his bones. And keep in mind that the imprecatory, that's what imprecatory means. The imprecatory psalms are psalms that would curse them. And so he's like cursing them, but this is what this guy did all his life. He wore it on the outside. David is saying, let it even penetrate into his bones. God, God, get him. Let it be to him like the garment which covers him and for a belt with which he girds himself continually. Let this be the Lord's reward to my accusers and to those who speak evil against my person. You know, we don't have time to go into this, but I would encourage you when you have a chance, you read Matthew 5. 38 through 48. And you're going to see that we really, as New Testament Christians, with New Testament light, with the explicit words of Jesus, we don't have the right to really pray in precatory psalms. Um, we pray for God to bless our enemies. But ultimately, I will say this in closing, that, that my, I don't have people that I look at 
as enemies. And I pray that you don't either, you know, because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, right? But, but, I, but I do see this as, as the enemy and, and the demons and that spiritual battle that takes place. And, and, and what we see here in, in verse 21, David says, but, but you, O God, the Lord, deal with me for your name's sake, because your mercy is good, deliver me. For I am poor and needy, and my heart is wounded within me. Man, I wonder if there's any wounded hearts here. That's where David was, and he's praying. I am I'm gone like a shadow when it lathens. I am shaken off like locusts. My knees are weak through fasting. My flesh is feeble from, from lack of fatness. I also have become a reproach to them. When they look at me, they shake their heads. It reminds me of Jesus. Help me, O Lord my God. O save me according to your mercy, that they may know that this is your hand, that you, Lord, have done it. Let them curse, that's fine, but you bless. When they arise, let them be ashamed, but let your servant rejoice. Let my accusers be clothed with shame, and let them cover themselves with their own disgrace as with a mantle. And you, you know, in the end, it's so cool. David was confident that God would give him victory, just like we started, you guys. You know, we're going to go through the battles and the wars but we are his children. We are victorious. In verse 30, I will greatly praise the Lord with my mouth. Yes, I will praise him among the multitudes, for he shall stand at the right hand of the poor to save him from those who condemn him. And, and again, when you read this, I hope you're not thinking of a person, you know, someone in mind other than the enemy himself, knowing that when we pray, God delivers us. What's the Bible say in Romans 8, verse 1? Therefore, there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. I mean, if the whole world is against us, it doesn't even matter because, because God is for us. Who is he who condemns? We're God's elect. We're washed in the blood. We're his children. We're victorious. You are victorious. deliver. He always does.